This is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast, and I'm your host, Dave. Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 4, where we're continuing our coverage of Kate Amamiya's filmography. Last episode, we covered the film Zerum. This episode, we'll be taking a look at Zerum 2, which was released in 1994. While I was unable to find a production schedule, the release date uh, in Japan for this film was in December of that year, whereas the um, animated series came out in July, a little bit earlier on in the summer. So these must have both been in production at the same time, which I think um, makes it a little bit more interesting to look at the differences we find in the film. Uh, while Zerum 2 is a direct prequel to the first Zerum movie, the animated series, uh, since it served as a prologue, does have differences, um, particularly in the character of uh, Fujikuro. That being the case, I'll, I'll attempt to highlight a few of those differences as they occur. As with the first film, it's not my intent to go scene by scene through this. We'll, of course, be moving chronologically, but just taking a look at the key scenes. I think to start us off, uh, we'll do a brief synopsis of the film, and then kind of move to the individual scenes from there as they uh, come up chronologically. The film itself is set three years after the end of the original Zerum. I think that's an interesting point because it covers um, the real-world passage of time between 1991 and 1994. When the film was released, uh, this accounts for the aging of the actors, um, since many of them are returning from the first film, uh, with the exception of Bob. Well, I mean, he's returning, but uh, he's a computer avatar, so the only aging he did was the um, depiction of his computer graphics are um, quite a bit better. As far as their livelihoods are concerned, um, Kamiya and Tepe are still working for Takashi Electronics, uh, while Iria and Bob have remained on Earth using the planet as a makeshift base um, for their forays in uh, galactic bounty hunting. The film doesn't really mention uh, their outstanding debt that they had been accumulating at the end of the first film, or I guess during the first film. But um, given that Iria and Bob are still operating out of an abandoned uh, warehouse, their funds must not be considerable. <laughs> However, um, Iria has been given a new assignment to test out a um, prototype combat robot. And so she's she's awaiting the um, the transfer of of the robot um, to Earth. And technically, since she's in the middle of a another um, artifact recovery mission, um, the the testing between herself and the robot will be put on hold, and the robot will arrive to um, assist her in her current mission to finish that up, um, so the testing can begin. Unfortunately, the artifact recovery doesn't go exactly as planned, and Iria is betrayed by one of her other partners um, on this particular job. And as an uh, indirect result, the robot partner that she's been assigned is damaged and goes out of control, resulting in the creation of another zone uh, trapping Iria, Kamiya, and Tepe. As one might guess from the title of the film, the control module installed in the robot is none other than a Zerum unit. Um, one of many that have, I guess, been created as a Zerum in, in addition to uh, Bob's visual upgrade. The Zerum unit itself um, is quite a bit more detailed um, this go-round and isn't confined to the hat form. It's basically just the, I guess what, snake, snake face we're going with, um, and a, uh, a smaller module um, mounted in the chest of the robot. I would, I guess if I was comparing it to something, I would say it's roughly the size of the uh, Giver unit in the, the Giver um, film and manga series. In addition to Zerum, we have our secondary antagonist uh, in the form of Fujikuro, who uh, who is the one who ended up betraying um, Iria and Bob. Um, ostensibly, this is to uh, 
get his hands on the the, the show's MacGuffin, the um, Chemarite, which is the artifact that Iria was assigned to retrieve from a crime syndicate that had stolen it. The the Chemarite, it turns out, is an ancient um, teleportation device or uh, some sort of technology that allows um, teleportation without using the um, transport modules that that they're they've been shown using throughout the series i don't know if specifically it just provides the energy itself or how it uh, performs the transportation uh, this show doesn't unfortunately get into that there's a there's a few things that Zerum 2 I was hoping would address as far as plot and even some of the organizations uh, such as the the authority and the the bounty hunting job itself but um, unfortunately a lot of those do go unanswered or just kind of glossed over um, in in favor of showing cool things rather than having to explain them uh, which is as as I mentioned it's unfortunate but it's all still, you know, the, the cool factor is still there. So as far as that's concerned, uh, the, the film is still let down. Um, well, regardless, they, uh, they, they are able to use the Camerite to, um, escape the zone and, uh, vanquish Zerum. That's the, the general outline of the plot. It's, it's fairly straightforward. There's not, um, not a lot of room for digression that the film itself is about 90 minutes so it's it's as brief um as the first film without meandering as much and since the characters are already established there's i guess that's why some of the things were skipped um there's less need to cover the events of those um intervening three years just to acknowledge that time has in fact passed but this the situations for these characters and why they're made likable um, haven't changed. The the character growth that we saw in um, Kamiya uh, through the first film, those traits he possesses are, um, I think they're they're lean they're leaned on a little harder um, in this film. Uh, he's shown as being more capable um, in a pinch but not in his regular everyday life. So it's, I would say maybe it's sort of that kind of hero trope where they're kind of bumbling but lovable um, and good at what they do, provided it's not um, their general day-to-day job. <laughs> so he's he's good in, in extraordinary situations, but... Um, is failing at his uh, general life, um, which is something that we don't see in um, Tepe. We see him succeeding in his day-to-day life, but in these tough situations, he's often portrayed more as the, I guess, victim. He just keeps getting caught. Uh, that's his go-to is to be stuck in a, in a, a situation and, that providing impetus for um, Kamiya to shine, I guess. They work better as a pair, but it's that sort of Laurel and Hardy kind of bumbling um, comedic duo, uh, which we mentioned in the um, in the first episode, looking at their characters, or not the first episode, but in uh, the first Zerum film, that they are the... Uh, they're both kind of the bumbling goofs to uh, Iria's more straight man routine, but just by themselves, um, Tepe's failures makes Kamiya um, look better by comparison, or at least able to perform his um, senior uh, employee role to a point. Um, I guess outside of the job place, since during their um, interactions where they are ta- actually discussing work, um, that's where Tepe has succeeded, and um, Kamiya has more trouble uh, dealing with his boss and with the clients. Um, it 
that's not really a major plot point in the film. So it's sort of just window dressing. Um, unfortunately, I would have liked to seen as well a little bit more of that. I, I guess as a whole, I like their working situations. So both Kame and Tepia as electricians um, and then Iria as a bounty hunter. The, the series doesn't focus on the day-to-day, just the um, extraordinary circumstances where their skills are um, put into useful effect uh, is what I, I think that this series is um, focused on. So with the synopsis out of the way, uh, we can move back to the beginning of the film and take a look at the opening sequence. Like with Zerum 1, uh, this film doesn't waste any time in introducing our primary antagonist, uh, this time in the form of a robot created by the authority to, um, I'm guessing, to help out in bounty hunter situations or potentially as a war asset, uh, since it's never explained specifically what the Zerum project is or how these units are supposedly... um, going to be deployed. In contrast to the first film, uh, which opened on a a black and white um, shot of tight corridors and Zerum mowing through uh, authority troops, this one instead uh, were greeted with a brightly lit desert scene. Initially, I thought this might be um, tied into the uh, ending desert on mice uh, for the OVA series but a little bit later in the film Bob mentions the training session with uh, or I guess between Iria and Zerum was to take place on the planet Tyrant so by that I'm I'm going to have to go with this is a a a training grounds on the planet Tyrant instead. Now, they have the um, initial tests of the robot unit uh, without the Zerum control module installed, just to test um, uh, efficacy of the robot in general and the weapon systems they've installed. They have it um, hunting down five androids, uh, as well as a mobile fortress. Uh, I say mobile fortress, but it's a large tank shaped vaguely like an industrial factory. Um, I don't know, it's, pretty, it's a pretty striking image. Uh, however, the, the, the size and the tank itself isn't, um, isn't given the, the, I guess the model they were using when they constructed the tank on set is well, it's undoubtedly it's, it's a miniature, and they don't have any um, computer-generated figures or anyone um, placed in post-production to uh, give a better size indication. So it, it could be huge. Uh, it could be man-sized. It's um, it's not clear. Regardless, the the robot unit makes short work of all five androids as well as the the fortress. Um, what we do get, uh, or I guess treated to, um, are a series of weapon installations on the on the robot. It's a, um, I guess, rather than a credits crawl, uh, the the live action switches over to a CG scene, and we have the installation uh, of the Zerum unit into the robot, as well as each of the individual weapons the um the robot itself is outfitted with uh, armored plating a rocket system uh, a homing um, i'm taking to call it a hornet it's a some sort of insect shaped missile um a buzzsaw hand a set of machine guns with disc blades uh, attached um, these are put into the head unit and then of course the the Zerum unit itself is inserted into the chest along with, uh, well, I said armored plating, but I believe it's the shield generating system um, that the, the the personal shield that the robot is equipped with. 
We're also treated to a lengthy um, voiceover by the authority operatives. And as with the first film, uh, all of their languages, the quote-unquote alien language um, that's been created for this series, it's, um, it's not pleasant to listen to. It sounds like if someone's speaking through like a, a mouthful of water uh, and then like backmasked. So however they created it, it's, I, I, it's doubtful that it was specifically Japanese, but it was definitely um, in reverse uh, and through some sort of filter. So and it just doesn't sound, uh, it's not, ple- it's not pleasing to the ear, uh, in, in like the slightest, um, definitely grants it that alien quality, um, that one might be expected to hear from an alien language. And they, um, take the time to point out the the flaws that this test has uncovered in the robot unit um, as it's piloted autonomously. So this doesn't have uh, a control unit installed. It's just operating on its own. And in doing so, it is, um, I believe they state that it's its autonomous um, controls are awkward they're stiff and it doesn't move with the speed and intent that i think that they want um these units if they were to be mass produced to um to be able to use and to operate all the firing control systems um this is why they need to include the zarum unit which is completely this is dubious they they've we've already discovered that the the Zayroom units themselves generally uh, aren't keen on being controlled um, in the first place, and they're a hazard to all life forms as they assimilate um, pretty much anything they they come across uh, and subvert to their own Zayroom unknowable uh, will. And given that the authority obviously don't learn from their mistakes, they go through with this plan and install the Zerum unit into this robot and give it the task of assisting Iria in, in her current mission prior to um, a live test uh, of its D-class weapon systems against uh, a more able opponent than these um these androids, which we don't see attacking it, they're just simply fleeing from it, and it's just mowing them down, even without the Zerum control unit installed. Of course, we're we're given the MacGuffin mission of uh, Iria retrieving this Camarite, uh, as we mentioned from the Kamach uh, crime syndicate that has stolen this ancient relic, and. They're on the the, the Comanche group, rather, is on Earth, working through an intermediary to sell the um, relic that they've they've snatched. So they don't want to use it; they just or they want the the money from it. Um, to, I guess to fund their organization, they're uh, thieves. I don't know. The, the, they also deal with other mercenaries, or the Comanche group itself is. Um, larger than the initial uh, three members that were introduced to um, shortly. Of course, before we meet with these um, Kamach individuals, we run into, uh, I guess we're running to, we were reintroduced to Iria and Bob uh, in their headquarters on Earth, as well as their new or re, uh, reoccurring partner, um, Fujikuro. Uh, now, I did mention in the beginning that Fujikuro's um, depiction here is a little different than his uh, character is during the OVA animated series. It's a little bit of a shame. I I talked a little bit about um, Fujikuro's character uh, throughout the six OVA episodes and how I think he was integral to 
not only moving the plot forward, um, but as a tentative um, guidepost uh, for the characters. He, as a hunter, isn't as um, talented as Gren or Iria or even Bob, for that matter, um, although Bob has been reduced from a flesh-and-blood body to um, a data entity. The the Fujikuro we've, if not grown to love and tolerate, um, at least acknowledge his ability in the animated series, the, the prologue that set some number of years prior to um, the Zerum films. In this our incarnation, he's younger or if not around the same age as Iria rather than even potentially he's, he appeared to be around Bob's age um, in the animated series and this he's, he's a younger sort of punk character um, they kept his general character design he has his sort of mohawk uh, and braids um, on the side it's I know it's interesting hairstyle as well as the the hair beads that are um, prevalent to the males on I guess it's not just mice but um, within the the realm of the authority uh, mice and Tawajan and tyrant arguably um, if there's anything aside from just desert on that planet but his, even in the beginning, his character is um, under question. He sort of, wouldn't say he's sniveling, but um, the, the actor's done a, a great job um, portraying sort of a doubtful character. Um, he's, he carries himself half hunched over, always sort of sprawling. Um, I would probably say that he resembles a um, low-ranking, ineffective uh, member of a Yakuza from any of the Yakuza films um, that that are, um, at this time, at least in the early 90s and and through the 80s, um, quite popular. So just through his body language alone, uh, we're, we're given reason to doubt um, his veracity and his goodwill toward um, his partners in, in trying to um, retrieve this Camerite from the Kamach group. Uh, in fact, he's acting as the intermediary, um, as part of their mission, sort of an undercover uh, job to work directly with the Kamach and broker the, introduce them to a middle, I don't know, a middleman's a middleman? That's a weird um idea he, he's introducing them to a buyer uh, of the of the Kamach. so I guess he's just the middleman or not the Kamach, the um Kamarite. they had to make all these ones names similar and um, the meeting itself takes place on a, a, a wharf I guess and it's it's pretty interesting the um the Kamach group, it's, uh, as I mentioned, it's a trio of, of men. There is a leader and two cronies. Um, they're, one of them is clearly in the uh, control of the group. I think he's the head of the, the Kamach family. Um, he's the one with the big hat, so <laughs> if they're going by status, um, having the nice robes and a tall hat um, gives you... Uh, of a better sense of authority in these groups. As far as this is, we're judging from this film anyway. Uh, well, they meet on the beach and uh, Fujikuro uh, is introducing them to their the buyer. Um, this, of course, turns out to be Iria, who arrives in a flashy display of um, rotoscoping lightning. Like, still my one of my favorite uh, effects that... that movies from this era um, kind of lean on and I kind of, I would like to see come back actually um, 
I don't know, it doesn't really serve to date the film uh, as much as anything else. This, um, the, the effects on this and the budget uh, seem to be considerable. I think if you were going to date it with anything would be the computer graphics, which unfortunately, in most cases, um, especially from this era, tend to have aged poorly. But I don't know, it still adds a, a certain charm to it, I suppose. Anyway, the uh, exchange, well, it, I wouldn't say it goes off without a hitch because Iria reveals herself and takes the Camerite from the Kamach family by force. Uh, this also serves as a reintroduction to her character and to show um, her growth as a hunter. Uh, she she was capable in the first film, and in this she dispatches the uh, Kamach um, group quite handily. She's prone to kicking things, uh, people in particular. So her her fighting style, which um, it leans heavily on what Gren taught her. And um, even in the OVA series, there was that special Gren um, spinning kick he liked to use. And Iria is no less fond of that. Uh, really not using her hands for much of the fight at all she maybe to take it a weapon from somebody so disarming people um she'll she'll use hand strikes but uh in general um a lot of it is uh kick takedowns and kicks to the head um to the groin whatever she feels is most effective in in the moment um it definitely lends a specific image uh, to her character and she gets to have her cool cloak uh, multi multi layered sort of chopped up fabric uh, cloak and for a short moment has one of the broad brimmed hats on um, in her disguise as a weapons merchant once Iria and um, Fuchikoro retrieve the camera they return to the abandoned uh, warehouse it's a it's a different abandoned warehouse than they were um, using in the first film but um this one's a little bit more centrally located and we find is I'm, I'm guessing it's downtown um rather than on the outskirts of the town uh, as the uh, f- first uh, film had their headquarters situated in iria and bob use a um i guess this would be the advanced version of a 3d printer um the the camera itself is a it's more of a data disc that the kamach had stolen well they they input the data into the printer and it reconstructs the form of the the camera which ends up looking quite a bit like a um a statue uh, a hand-sized statue of in this case um the goddess canon which ties in a little bit to um, events that happen um, later in the film that design i don't think was on purpose by the originating group that created the um Kemerite. however it's an, uh, an amazing coincidence um given some of the set pieces uh, later on in the film in fact i'd go as far as to say that it's one of the many coincidences that the um, film deals with plot-wise. That may be one of the weaker points uh, throughout this film, is that a lot of the events that happen uh, rely so much on happenstance that it's difficult to suspend your disbelief when it comes to, to major plot points uh, th- that occur and specifically how uh, Kamiya, Tepe, and Iria do get back together um, and how the dramatic tension is introduced uh, into the climactic fight scene. I think that's because the, the characters of... Um, Tepe and Kamiya require a certain comedic handling uh, to to showcase their strong points. Um, that being the case, 
things happening because of like bumbling errors um, are common and those take away some of the seriousness uh, of the situations but also the well I mean we're, we're dealing with uh, you know, extraterrestrial um, technologies and uh, ancient teleportation devices so uh, the the realism in this series of, is already in question but as a sci-fi feature the comedy weakens um, the effectiveness I think of the portrayal of these fantastic technologies it makes them uh, m potentially more of a joke uh, when I think as if they were taken a little bit more seriously uh, it would be a little bit well, it'd be a little bit cooler, uh, for one. Well, I mean, I guess it would help if we took a look at a few of these um, uh, miraculous coincidences that occur sort of back-to-back, -back, um, even in the, the beginning of the film, uh, just to sort of kick things off. We have uh, Tepe um, about to get married. Uh, he's rather in, in, in the time... Um, situation of the film, he's getting married tomorrow in the, in the sequence of things. Um, so he's in the middle of preparing for his wedding and happens to be that the... Uh, I don't think it's a wedding officiator. Um, it's He's visiting a priest to um, uh, a Shinto priest to get good luck uh, for the wedding. I think that's what's happening here. Um, unfortunately, the subtitles don't uh, give you that context, so it's really just a visual cues. And he he's running into a, a spout of bad luck. And, and there's a specific ceremony um, to sort of get rid of that um, inauspicious luck that he's having uh, to cleanse him uh, for the wedding. However, the office that he's, or it's sort of its office building, but the, the place where he's at is literally across the street from the warehouse where Iria is having her headquarters. Um, That right there is, is, that's the most egregious, I think, example um, of the coincidences that litter this film. Uh, and prior to that, Kamiya was in, in the process of purchasing a new video camera um, just for, for personal use. And um, he, in testing the camera out, he happens to um, catch video footage of uh, Fujikuro and Iria, although at the time he doesn't you know, realize that. It's, he's just kind of panning through the crowd on the street. So these two things in a city as large as they're in are, I mean, they're to the point of being ridiculous, um, but, but it works for the film. It's the same sort of things we're dealing with in the, in the, in the first movie, um, almost specifically since Kamiya is the one who bumps into um, Iria in the first movie. Um, and knocks her, her groceries over. Of course, uh, all these little things add up, and when you include the incapable and bumbling um, Fujikuro into the uh, equation, um, well, we, we end up having, of course, the, the, the trio eventually meet up to get, uh, together. Now, on Fujikuro's part, he was waiting for, I guess he doesn't have the technology to reconstruct the um, Kamarite into its original form, so he had to wait for Iria to do, um, to do so with the, with the data that he had um, helped her steal from the, or not steal, but recover from the um, Kamach family. Uh, another, it's something that happens, and it's definitely um, not in Fujikuro's plan, but it works out um, in his favor. The uh, authority transports the, the Zerum controlled robot unit to Earth, um, but something happens to the, the data as it's being um, transferred 
to the teleporter system, and it ends up being sent uh, not to Iria's headquarters, but a little bit um, further, uh, 40 minutes by car. Um, they stay specifically away from um, her headquarters. So she uses the teleporter to go meet up with the the, the Zayrum robot. Um, and in doing so, leaves uh, Fujikuro behind with Bob in the headquarters. Now, Fujikuro thinks that uh, Iria has left the um, Camerite uh, in, in, in Bob's possession, basically. And so he destroys the teleporter so Iria cannot return, and he knows that she's 40 minutes away um, if she were to try to walk or get some sort of transport back to the um, headquarters, and in in no way would she be able to um, stop him from taking the camera right and, and fleeing. Unfortunately, what he doesn't realize is that Iria has taken the camera right with her. Um, I don't know if that's because she doesn't trust him or just because the the plot requires that she not let him have it <laughs> just for, for ease of thievery. Um, but once Fujikuro discovers this, he's also stuck lamenting the fact that he just destroyed the teleporter and he can't follow her to go get the, um, camera. He needs some way to, um, transport himself, uh, that distance or, or, you know, where she's supposed to be meeting up with, uh, the, the robot and here's where the next oddity happens uh with tepe um having seen yuria um out on the balcony he runs over to you know across the street to the the, the building that she's in um, to meet up with her um, as it turns out though though she's been on earth for three years the um the trio haven't really gotten back together uh she saw them as useful partners in, in that specific um, instance in the first film. But uh, beyond that, I don't believe that they're, they're on friendly terms. Um, the film certainly doesn't lend itself to that, uh, that notion. Uh, Tepe arrives and is, of course... Um, taken hostage by Fujikuro, who uses uh, Tepe's van to get him to back to where Iria is. And that, of course, is our roundabout way of um, bringing Tepe back together uh, with Iria. And also how uh, Kamiya comes back into the equation. He was supposed to... Um, attend Tepe's wedding uh, in, on the following day, but had declined due to, to reasons that it's not, um, he doesn't disclose till, till later in the film. And that puts him at odds with uh, his friend and subordinate in, in the company, or at least had been his subordinate. Um, it's, not, it's not clear, but Tepe seems to be doing better um, in the company than uh, um, Kamiya at this point anyway. So while Tepe's been abducted, um, Kamiya eventually makes his way to the, the headquarters um, looking for, for Tepe and runs into the the, the damaged uh, teleporter unit and uh, Bob himself is also, uh, his, the computer that he's in has been um, partially destroyed by um, Fujikuro. Uh, here is where we get one of Kamiya's, the beginning of his time to shine. Um, in his job as an electrician, he's able to use those skills, as he did in the in the first film, to repair not only the, the teleporter, but um, also um, Bob's computer. And s through that, finds out what's going on. Um, he spends a good portion of the rest of the film off-screen, um, working together with Bob to, to get everything fixed. Uh, but that's the role that he serves, um, at least in the first three-fourths of the film. Um, everything sort of cuts back to Iria um, waiting for the arrival of Zerum, but in the in the meanwhile, um, she's actually uh, ambushed by the, the remains of the um, Kamach family who are intent on getting uh, the Kamarite back from her. 
this turns into a large brawl between herself and the 45 or so um, either Kamach family members or I think that they're hired, they're mercenaries uh, that or just criminals that the um, Kamach family has hired to a dispatch area. Or maybe they're just people that have had grudges against her because she's imprisoned them um, previously. That's a, uh, I think that's a valid supposition um, at this point. And she, she's somewhat, I mean, they're, they're afraid of her, uh, but there's 45 of them and just one of her. So the, the odds are not in her favor at this point. Um, however, she steals a, um, or I guess disarms one of the, the goons uh, of their umbrella f- flying device. Because this doesn't specifically predate the OVA series, I, I'm thinking that, um, uh, Fujikuro's Dempadan um, vehicle is uh, based or at least designed um, simultaneously with this idea in mind um, this is maybe just a more realistic form rather than having to have built a, a model of, a, of this vehicle she's can you know of course the actress um, on set can hold uh, uh, an umbrella that spins and lifts her up into the air um so it's an interesting uh aesthetic choice and um easily usable as a as a as a personal vehicle uh rather than something you would um use on a on a a hunting mission i don't um it's i don't think it's as uh effective as the dempadon is in in the show um, although admittedly that does end up being destroyed uh, on, on more than one occasion so the jury is probably still out on that one anyway after a bit of a scuffle uh Zerum does in fact finally arrive and since Zerum is supposed to be assisting Iria in in this particular mission uh she takes it upon herself to well just murder all of the um mercenaries that are uh, giving Yuria trouble uh, quite handily, uh, as Zerum is wont to do. Um, now, even, I guess, more so empowered by this uh, ro- weaponized robot body. However, that doesn't sit well with Iria, uh, who, again, it's a happenstance, but <laughs> in, her, in her anger at um, Zerum not listening to orders, uh, she punches for some reason the control module um on its chest i guess the the zeron robot's fairly tall and area is not not the tallest person so i guess that may have been for her it was head height but it's chest height on the um on the robot well it damages the um protective covering on the uh, on the the zeron unit itself uh, because at this point uh, the authority had installed some sort of module to, to keep Zerum under control and just operating as the brains behind um, the fire control system uh, rather, rather than autonomously operating the robot itself. So she's not pleased and doesn't really want to continue on with the test um, that she's supposed to be conducting with the, with the robot unit and uh, she storms off. Of course... Uh, Fujiguro by this point has uh, arrived with his hostage and is using um, Tepe as a a lever to negotiate with um, Iria over the return of the um, Kamarite uh, statue. Of course, left to its own device, uh, Zerum is not um, autonomous at this point and is just sort of on standby. But we get a little bit more uh, happenstance shenanigans and one of the Kamach, the, the leader, in fact, the, the man of the tall hat, um, attempts to revenge himself upon uh, Zerum uh, unsuccessfully, but what he ends up doing is splashing uh, blood um, all over the exposed uh, Zerum control unit, causing it to regain its consciousness, uh, revive, and elect to use the robot it's obtained to um, re-engage 
in the I guess defeat of uh, Iria. So we can maybe take this to mean that um, there's either a, some sort of shared consciousness or it's still um, beholden by some of the operating protocols that the robot uh, has fallen under as it labels uh, Iria, Tepe, and um, Fujikuro as test participants. Um, and it's limiting itself to the B or the, the D type weaponry um, that the original test was supposed to be conducted under. Um, so it's a little bit curious. We don't have a full grasp of exactly how much control uh, or intelligence rather that uh, um, the Zerum unit has. Uh, it's simply fully ignoring um, any outside orders and just kind of moving on its own volition. Um, and in this instance, the 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 zone creation technology of this um, sort of alternate dimension uh, has been miniaturized and inserted into the, the robot. I, I don't know why it has the potentially or the, the, the potentiality um, to create a zone. Uh, probably my, my guess is for the same reason that the, um, the hunters are authorized to use these um, alternate dimensions to deal with uh, capture targets. So yeah, I mean, I guess that does make sense that it has this um, personalized zone creation device. It um, sets up the zone and, of course, kicks off the conflict between itself, uh, Iria, Fujikuro, and um, potentially Tepe, um, whose who's fighting power is minimal um, at best. And, of course, we are also mindful of uh, Kamiya and his separation outside of the zone with um, Bob. They're working together to um, free uh, Iria and the others from the zone. Um, as in the first film, they're unable to um, escape the zone on their own, uh, even at the supposed destruction of Zerum, who, who created the zone in the first place. The, the pocket dimension, um, they... They remain an unstable thing and have a specific time limit um, that they can be generated before they fall apart. And anything of anything living within the zone at that point um, uh, is is in danger of uh, being destroyed. Now, I mentioned a little bit earlier uh, the shield generation modules on um, on Zerum. Uh, it turns out that those it's a it's a trio of field uh, or shield uh, generators, and those are superior to um, the personal shielding system that Iria's armor uh, uses. And not only that, but Zerum's strength uh, outclasses uh, Iria's, even though even though she's boosted by um, her the new set of armor. Uh, thankfully, the design has on those has on in Iria's design. Um, has changed uh, from the first movie, so the the points that previously were uh, vital to the human anatomy and weren't covered by armor um, in the first film have been um, shored up, and the design is is more um, sensible uh, this go round. Uh, it's also a lot less bulky; um, looks a little bit easier to move in. I know on the um, the interviews in the first film. Uh, Yuko Moriyama had mentioned that the the armor itself was like very restrictive. Um, the the costume, of course, that she's wearing was uh, difficult to move in and very noisy. I don't know uh, how this film's armor um, is in comparison. It looks more streamlined, um, but that doesn't mean that it was any more comfortable or easier to move in. Uh, the Again, she does, um, I think, a limited amount of stunt work. It's it's primarily um, a stunt person uh, handling a lot of the martial arts and um, scenes where she's being sort of thrown around. She she does some of the clo 
close-up work uh, as she did in the first film. So small acrobatics, um, I think she can handle. Uh, and anything where it's it's focusing, of course, on on her face um, during the you know the, the fight scene. So the armor design uh, in of itself is 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 vastly improved, and we get the same sort of streamlining on um, the new robot form where uh in the in the first they, they take inspiration from the first film as far as the um, wandering um, monk or the even like sort of yojimbo design on zerum and in this one he or sorry she sheds that very quickly and ends up resembling more of a robot rabbit um if anything uh, it's, it's given strange uh, ear-like antenna uh on its on its helmet but uh overall it's a much more skin tight but still large suit um that the uh the performer um is wearing so i think visually it's more striking um than the, just a large hatted uh, creature and one thing I had wanted to mention on the previous episode was the inspiration for Zerum's form um, outside of the hat and straw um, cloak was I think specifically um, the, the Predator from the Predator films its mouth is um, mandib- mandibular I guess you would call it it's um, very reminiscent of the, the predator's face, and uh, that's something. Uh, be, because it was more bulked up, it uh, lent it to. I um, mean, this the the robot is a little bit more svelte. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's any less large, but because they're not using a skin um, appliances, and instead it's like just a specific armor suit, um, it it doesn't look as as bulky. And aside from the, the changes to Zerum's suit and uh, Iria's armor, we get a little bit um, an improvement, I guess, over the Lilliput clone uh, and the failed Kamiya clone that we see in the first film. Uh, in this, unfortunately, um, Zerum clones a stray dog. And, well, the, the dog doesn't survive the cloning process because it has to be eaten to, to be cloned. But uh, the, re- the resulting dog clone... Um, it's just as fleshy uh, as the Lilliput and the weird three-faced baby thing um, from the first film, but the it's more bio-organic, I guess, if I wanted to try to cl- classify that, that sort of um, design you see present in uh, like the xenomorph from Alien, um, combined, I think, maybe with aesthetics uh, of the Shisa um, lion statues uh, in, in Japan. So it's, I think the aesthetics are more leaning toward that than anything else, uh, just based on um, the, the usage of Sanskrit. Uh, the alien language itself, uh, when it's in print, uh, to me resembles um, uh, Tibetan, and we also have uh, not only um, Kanon or the the Bodhisattva Avalokitesvara, uh, but other um, Traditions um, that have come over from India uh, through through Buddhism, um, and that's the aesthetic that Amamiya works with. I think most commonly, and is maybe not most. I wouldn't say like that's the the comfort found in that, but the the oh, just the aesthetics. Um, present in those kind of designs and that idea uh the the traditions that it sort of implies and the culture the weight of the culture that it it carries um 
while still uh, looking, while I can still look futuristic, um, it holds that sense of history into it. Um, so I think what's behind a lot of this is you, you can show um, the, the power of technology and what, um, what could possibly sort of be diverged from um, current notions but while still incorporating uh, these older um, cultural and historical design features, uh, it creates a very specific sense to it. It's that marrying of the old and the new uh, and and creating something um, more interesting to look at, um, I think holistically. So the the dog design, the dog monster design um, reflects that and is borrowing a little bit more um, from traditional temple designs. Uh, and as, as, as the, the plot point that I had mentioned earlier where the Kamarite um, resembles the statue of Kanon, they, the zone that's been created by Zerum um, is centered around a very large, uh, albeit um, prop, uh, statue. It's not, not one in actual existence, but um, the the final showdown does take place uh, inside, or uh, I guess it would be roughly equivalent to the size of uh, the the Jesus of Rio de Janeiro uh, or the Statue of Liberty. Um, that that kind of height of a figure um is what uh, they're they're climbing around inside um during the, the the climactic battle scene and, and i guess even with um Zerum, uh you can take into consideration this idea of of fusing the old and new um but taken uh to a literal um conclusion where Zerum has the ability to take a an actual object and enhance it or um i mean it's it's that general idea of assimilation but not just into its own self uh just improving upon an existing thing um during an earlier battle uh with fujikuro um, zerum takes fujikuro's weapon uh, and transforms it from a, a d-class um rifle into a b-class so I mean, we, we're not given uh, specific examples of what that scaling includes. We just know that the tiers of the weapons improve in, in um, uh, damage potential. So in making it more this organic state, um, the rifle's you know, power is increased. Uh, and then uh, toward, toward the end of the film, Zerum just takes a... Uh, uh, a metal strut, I think, of um, from the construction site inside the um, statue, and turns just the general metal pole into a bladed um, pole arm. Now, whether that's a specific function uh, limited to the robot form or something that Zeram herself um, can do only, uh, it, it's not made clear. But she retains enough of her. Uh, former abilities that we see in the, in the first film that we can sort of extrapolate um, that the robot by itself probably can't do those things. Uh, it needs the Zerum control unit to uh, act beyond its um, created capabilities. I think those are the points I primarily wanted to cover um, in, in taking a look at this film. Uh, there's a few other scenes I think that are integral to the character development um, of both Tepe and um, Kamiya. Uh, however, I don't think that they're important um, for the film as a whole, uh, just in understanding um, the relationship of these two men. And we, we find, uh, as, as I mentioned, that um, Kamiya uh, was either unwilling or unable to attend um, Tepe's wedding. And we we know from the previous film and, and even in moments of this one that they're probably the each other's best friends. 
Uh, so it's a little odd that he's um, saying that he can't make the wedding. And we, we find out that it's um, it's because of his own failings in his, his own personal life. His, um, his own marriage uh, is not a successful one, and he's estranged from his wife. Uh, however, she's... Um, his wife has custody of their child, but he's been allowed to uh, attend, um, I believe it's a recital, uh, for, for his daughter. And that happens to fall uh, on the, the day of the wedding. So he, to repair his own marriage, he's sort of having to sacrifice a little bit of his friendship um, with Tepe. And he wasn't willing, I think he, uh, he was maybe embarrassed to um, to discuss you know, the failings of his own his marriage in a time when his friend is just getting married, um, maybe as a, a way to not discourage his friend and to show um, Tepe that he does, be, you know, he does believe in this kind of idea. Um, but uh, you know, uh, however the the dice fall in this particular occasion, he does they, they think that they're going to die actually um, <laughs> because the Zerum is just too powerful. And so they take this brief moment to, um, to, before the final showdown, to kind of discuss the hows and whys, you know, um, and and something that they, a reason that they have to um, to go on, to defeat Zerum and go on living with their lives, um, you know, just that that reason to continue living, um, basically. Uh, and that's also why uh, he, Kamiya uh, had. Um, purchased that video camera was to record his um his daughter's performance so the the two men are i think able to um come to an understanding about you know their own respective lives uh and their own reasons for um struggling you know against this um otherwise almost you know this immortal foe uh that should have by all rights been defeated in, in, in the end of the first film and that's underscored, I think, by um, Kamiya's repeated uh, um, rescues of Tepe. Um, he, he's, despite his earlier um, inclination to not, you know, you know, not attend the wedding um, in favor of restoring his own marriage, he he doesn't value his friend any less, um, and is in fact quite invested um, in in you know seeing that Tepe uh, lived to see another day and is able to kind of buckle down, crush his own um, fears at this, and, you know, put himself in harm's way by entering the zone um, while, while Tepe's been kidnapped by um, Fujikuro and, uh, you know, of course, a, a mount a rescue uh, for his friend. And um, those, I think, are, are good values that this um, film is exploring these ideas of friendship, um, of the importance of these cultures, and um, I don't know. Overall, I think it just makes a good package. Uh, I don't really have anything else that I wanted to cover um, in this particular um, film, but uh, next episode we'll be taking a look at uh, Mirai Ninja or Cyber Ninja, and that is the sort of um, progenitor. Uh, the, the first film that um, Amemiya had created, which led him to be able to 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 finance these and to um, you know create this Zerum franchise, which uh, I think it's a it's a good thing. So um, next time we'll be taking a look at uh, Mirai Ninja, and that brings this episode uh, to a close. If anyone has questions or comments, they'd um, like to point out uh, that I may have missed. Um, in regards to either the first or second um, Zerum film, uh, feel free to send them in. You can reach me on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus uh, or the, the podcast itself at rock space dandy. Um, I've put the schedule up for the, the rest of the season. We, we may end up um, finishing uh, up with uh, Mirai Ninja. However, uh, Moon Over Tau is still under consideration, um, time permitting. Uh, so if either of those films are interesting or you have seen them previously, um, I 
please send in some comments. That would be great. And I'd have a little bit more to um, address aside from the own, my own points that I'm, um, you know, making with viewing these films. So thank you for listening. Uh, and that's Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy signing off. Uh, we'll see you next time for Mirai Ninja.